Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to State of the Empire, Consequence of Sound's Star Wars speculation podcast where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Matt. In this episode, we're going to be priming you for the series finale of Star Wars Rebels, as well as confronting some very big and surprising news that dropped this week. As you may have noticed, it's just Matt and I, because Doug hasn't caught up on Rebels, and we thought, (laughs) well, okay, sure, we'll just, you know, it'll just be Matt and I, no big deal. And then other stuff happened. So we're going to be talking about the, uh, the big new news about an ambiguous other Star Wars series happening out in the film sphere and uh, some other details about Han Solo, and then go into Star Wars Rebels. What that means is uh, our standard issue warning about the blast doors, the spoiler-proof protective coating that allows you to be free from any intense spoilery stuff. Well, there's kind of two levels to that this time. At the top of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest Star Wars news. That's spoiler-free. And then we're going to talk about Star Wars Rebels, recapping everything that's happened in Season 4 so far, and and that's, well, the degree of spoilerific that is, is have you or haven't you seen Star Wars Rebels Season 4? If you haven't, you need to. <laughs> yeah, you really do. If you're not watching Rebels at all, it starts out a little bit like a kid's show, but evolves into basically the distillation of Star Wars that you might be missing right now. And after that point, after talking about what has come already, then we're going to be talking about what is to come. And that is where the blast doors are going to formally be lowered And we are going to get in there and get to the nitty gritty of what we think is going to happen as this monumental Star Wars series ends. So the big news, (laughs) the big crazy news. We already had Ryan Johnson doing a trilogy of unknown Star Wars films. And then this week, Game of Thrones creators David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are going to write and produce what is, quote, a new series of Star Wars films. Oof, man, so many thoughts on that one. I mean, first of all, it it keeps blowing my mind that they're doing like multiple film commitments, you know, which is like almost counterintuitive to the way like Star Wars itself started. You know, like Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, obviously I don't think you you go into things back then and, and, you know, assume that you'd be making a trilogy for, for Star Wars, you know, when Lucas went about his original. But, you know, it's product of today's system right you don't do something unless you're gonna potentially do it more than once but it's it's strange that they're handing it to like individual creative groups for multiple movies i guess yeah and what's on what's interesting about this announcement and we're gonna we've got more details on it which we'll go into momentarily but but keep this in mind that this announcement could it suggests a lot of things about the way that the existence of perpetual star wars that we're you know that the disney era is 
right. it, 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 there's a new there's something else happening here. Uh, I'm, if that sounds confusing, well, well, we'll go into it in a moment. Um, what we what we know about it is that it will be separate from both the episodic Skywalker saga, which that's a quote. That's what they're still calling it, um, though the only surviving Skywalker is Ben Solo, um, and the trilogy being developed by Ryan Johnson. Um, there's a joint statement from Benioff and Weiss, which is a very nice statement. It reads, In the summer of 1977, we traveled to a galaxy far, far away, and we've been dreaming of it ever since. We are honored by the opportunity, a little terrified by the responsibility, and so excited to get started as soon as the final season of Game of Thrones is complete. Then, um, well, we can rely on the tell-it-like-it-is nature of Bob Iger to give us some better facts on things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love that aspect of him. I, I really, you know, uh, I've I've really gotten to a point where I I kind of I kind of love him. Sometimes the things mm-hmm. that come out of his mouth is complete nonsense, but but he's he's really he seems kind of down to earth. Yeah, yeah, and in, in his way for sure. <laughs> yes, in his way, that's very yeah, as, as much of the CEO of like the biggest entertainment company possibly can be. Yes. Um, he said that Benioff and Weiss didn't express an interest in working on a Star Wars TV series because, I mean, they're they're, I mean, HBO, but still TV people, and that would be the logical thing, especially when you're throwing around the word series without saying trilogy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like maybe that implies that what they're working on could be an idea that is big enough to. Maybe break molds go on forever. I mean, it impl- basically when they say film these days, it implies that it's being released in theaters, I assume, because there's so much that's hinging, hinging around the new nature of streaming service media, Disney's forthcoming app, which we already know they're developing a Star Wars television series for. And in fact, um, Iger said that there are a few Star Wars series specifically being created for Disney's upcoming app and that the talent on the television front is significant. Um, but back to Benioff and Weiss, he also says that they've been talking to them for a long time and they're focused on a point in time in Star Wars mythology and we're taking it from there. Which is crazy because that's the first time it's ever, you know, you only have a couple points in Star Wars mythology to (laughs) go, you know, I mean, Clone Wars, the Old Republic, like I'm trying to think of some other things that they could possibly you know, I'm I I didn't enjoy all of the speculation about you know a Knights of the Old Republic trilogy back when Ryan Johnson's was announced. Even though I did think that's possibly where it could be going, because I really thought Last Jedi was going to explore the origins of the Jedi. I was mistaken. But you know, this is you know, Iger's language is much more specific when it comes to point in time. I mean, he specifically says that, and so you know, conjecture away that we could be going deep into the past right why would one say why would you use the phrase point in time if it was what could be considered present day skywalker saga stuff Mm -hmm. that means it can't be so that means either it's a deeper exploration of the time period of star wars rebels essentially which could be done but considering how much activities happened there right now i'm inclined to say that's a terrible idea right then that really and and, and of course, the word mythology, too. I mean, you know. Yeah. It evokes ideas of, of legends and, and older times and things like that. And oh, just... wait. Do you mean to tell me that these guys who did this big sword and sorcery show could be, do- <laughs> <laughs> could be doing the Old Republic, the time of sword and sorcery for the Jedi? Right. 
it i mean it, it's exciting i mean i i've you know this this announcement sparked a lot of conversation between doug and yourself and 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 myself and a few others almost immediately because it's just it's such an interesting group to choose um i am a game of thrones fan uh I cap. I don't believe you've you've taken that plunge yet. No, willfully at this point. I I missed the first. I missed the boat, and now I'm like, uh, I don't know. This <laughs> is so, it's so right. much. It's so daunting at this point. It truly is. And I have to say, you know, like the minute the source material for Game of Thrones dried up, the show arguably took a, a very noticeable plunge, and I mean a deep plunge. And and that being said, it still is one of the best things on TV, even with the deep plunge, which really shows you during the source material era, how great the show was. But, you know, the production quality is still top notch, even despite the story suffering. And it's not like George R. R. Martin has proven capable of of concluding the source material himself. Like the man simply has lost the passion. At least that's my conjecture and a lot of fans conjecture. He, he, he had a huge passion to build this world and he did an amazing job of it. And now he just doesn't know how to wrap it up because there's so many storylines and so many loose threads. It's just an impossible task. And I think... In Benioff and Weiss's defense, because I've seen a lot of fans harp on the idea that, like, without Martin's source material, the show has dropped in quality so much. You know, they're doing the best they can with a story that is just so complicated and so hard to to wrap up nicely. So I am surprised to find myself very excited now when I realize that they are doing an amazing job with what they have, what they've been given, what they're left with. Right, so. and if their new source material becomes everything that's been written about the old republic, uh, yep. that's easy. That's easy. Yeah, they've got it. Like they have, they have as much as they had with Game of Thrones, if not more. Hmm. Sure. Why not? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not a it's not a bad team. Like I, I mean, I I'm iffy on them being the writing team. Like that's not their strong suit. Their strong suit is certainly as producers. But, you know, also it just, you know, sometimes, you know, Star Wars hasn't found its strengths through writing ever. It's always been <laughs> in world building and characters and, and design and ideas. So it doesn't necessarily need, as strange as it sounds for me to say, it doesn't necessarily need the strongest writers. It needs ideas, people. And, and they seem to be good at that. Yeah, so, I mean, this is surprising. It's weird. Now, here's where the negative slant comes. One of the first thoughts I had when this was announced and when it was so ambiguously, it's definitely not TV, it's definitely films, and it is a series. And what on earth does that mean? Right. I'm concerned that in the up-and-down realm of what the hell has been going on behind the scenes at Lucasfilm, this could mean that the Star Wars anthology film experiment is being deprioritized or decommissioned. As in, I, I agree with you. I think I think Solo, my prediction is that Solo will be the last film to carry the title A Star Wars Story. I think there will be some sort of combo pack, you know, own the A Star Wars Story duology, but that may be the end of that that moniker for that type of film. And we may get that type of film again someday, but I think you will start seeing like after episode nine, Johnson movie, Benioff and Weiss movie. Johnson movie, Benioff and Weiss. And until these films are finished and then we'll move on to quote unquote phase three. And I really don't want that to be the case. And I feel like yeah. it's it would be moronic to pronounce it 
like dead already with the second film not even out yet but it's hard to i mean we don't know what disney has been dealing with behind the scenes what really the problems the larger systemic problems within the production of star wars films right now what what they are but both both star wars stories so far which is i mean it's a terrible title if if that title goes away but the premise of standalone films stays i'll be a happy camper Mm -hmm. but i think that it's important to have the standalone films i think i think they're finding the same problems that a lot of the other companies that have tried to create marvel machines and, and shared universes have come across. But the thing about Star Wars is the fans will still show up to make a billion dollars because it is Star Wars and these films still are of a, you know, a certain degree of quality. But, you know, Marvel can be that machine because they're they're referencing and, 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 and heavily embracing decades and decades and decades of stories and histories. And Lucasfilm decided not to. And so they're coming from scratch, just like Universal with their monster movie series. They've tried to, to boot it up twice with Dracula Untold and then with The Mummy. Didn't happen because they're not embracing previously told stories. They're trying to come up with them now and somehow making trying to make everything cohesive where you don't have that foundation. So I think, you know, I think Lucasfilm is just finding that the process has been very difficult because they they aren't, you know, they're trying to come up with this out of thin air and they're getting frustrated and making snap decisions like oh let's just promise a trilogy to one creator and then another trilogy or series to another series of creators and like maybe that will get things going what i think is interesting is they had an opportunity to make a a cohesive shared universe thing with rogue one because i i honestly believe that at least Jin would survive the film and then you could have Jin team up with alden ehrenreich or or donald glover in in post a new hope films those actors don't need to necessarily play those characters pre new hope. They can also continue on later into the, you know, rebellion struggle, but you know, they made the bold decision, probably the right decision to kill off those characters in rogue one. And now they can't appear in a movie together, or at least not in the ways that like, I think they would have liked. And here we are like cramming seemingly assumedly all of Han Solo's prehistory into a single movie. Mm -hmm. Yep. Instead of stretching it out over a number of films potentially a trilogy just like or leaving it open you know at yeah, all i mean every han solo prequel series of the eu was always in trilogy format the han solo adventures the han solo trilogy like you know you can spread those stories out but you know they're just jamming it all in one to just get it out there which is a weird decision it, it is weird decisions all around and i mean i hope we're wrong i really truly hope we're wrong me too um and certainly if they if they did stop doing a la carte films it would potentially I would assume overcomplicate them wanting to have a Star Wars film every year because having the ability to do some weird one-off a la Guardians of the Galaxy you know it's good to have that flexibility I guess they'll never not have that flexibility but they showed a brand commitment to what they called the anthology films which became a Star Wars story and so on except that everything that's happened behind the scenes has been so fucking confusing from an outsider's perspective that uh, it's hard to really understand the process here. And, you know, we all... It's it's crazy. They are three for three on troubled productions on these A Star Wars story films, whether it's the complete shutdown of the Boba Fett film with Josh Trank, and then, you know, the, the very well-documented or partially documented for the other two. So I can see why they're becoming frustrated with these anthology films, but at the same time, 
they're still good movies and rogue one made a billion dollars like they're still good yeah and and also i'm if if there is a judgment being passed here like if they are moving on to a different process for the future of star wars films i keep wondering what these problems are (laughs) like that the anthology films were troubled seems to make no sense and why is it a consistent thing it only points to well it's something happening at the corporate level it's disney it's lucasfilm i don't know but there's a reason that this is a reoccurring trend and it's not because of the people they're hiring yeah i i don't know i you know i hope these types of things can come out in great you know oral histories and production diaries and things like that later on because you know as we've talked about before on the show part of the special legacy that star wars has is how the productions are so well documented and are so interesting because of what they meant in the change in the way movies are made and art is made and media and things like that. And so, you know, I hope these are things that we can go back to and, and find out more about as as the years and potentially decades go on. Yeah. And again, I hope we're just being uh, a little too doom and gloom right now. It's just it's a weird that we anticipated the next announcement would be of you know whatever the next standalone film is and in the past we've cited a series of different rumors about what is presently slated and those rumors could still be true but are no longer true anymore it's weird that what they've announced next is another ambiguous cluster of works instead of something standalone that people can rally behind and and it kind of it's weird that the a lot of sentiment that i see that the announcement of the series has really you know especially on the heels of that like you know TV shows being worked on, you know, a few different Star Wars series specifically. Um, I've seen a lot of sentiment that it's just, it's too much. And it does seem like too much. But if they had been announcing, you know, anthology films one at a time, I think they could have disguised that potential like Star Wars fatigue, you know, and and it's Mm -hmm. strange that like they're kind of jumping the gun and, and possibly giving us Star Wars fatigue simply by having a roadmap that just goes so far. You know, if we're talking one film a year and maybe we will get anthology films sprinkled here and there during these six or so films, you know, possibly moving to two a year, which, you know, might not be a good idea. But kind of a strange related thing. I was thinking about the the 40th anniversary celebration that they that they did at Star Wars Celebration and had George Lucas there. And, you know, they brought people from the prequels and, and the, the original trilogy out to you know talk to him. And I was just thinking if they did that for the 50th anniversary. 10 years from from that moment we'll have 10 star wars films that would have come out in between there which is obviously four more than lucas even made and it's kind of crazy to think just how massive this machine will be by the time the 50th anniversary rolls around like it will have gone from simply star wars to being james bond in space (laughs) at some point (laughs) when it comes to series length yeah crazy yeah and and Jeez, I mean, cinematic universe cohesion. I, I don't know. They've already, you know, the Marvel universe, the Marvel cinematic universe. It's not particularly solid, but it, you know, it's fine. It gets by in terms it of it is. They, yeah, they've perfected the art of making acceptable films, and they're I enjoy them, but mostly I forget about them as soon as I walk out of the theater, and I never want that for Star Wars. And I think so far they've avoided that. I think these films stay with me, which is important. And I, I just hope that that remains a thing. I don't want to leave a Star Wars film and say, oh, that was acceptable. I want to think about it. I want to go back to it. Right. I mean, that that preciousness is, in theory, why they paid all this money for it. And yep. 
I and I guess what I what I was talking about really was was in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's continuity consistency, you know, like that world. Mm-hmm. It's not super strong, but it's enough. And Star Wars can probably get by on that much. It's just it's only troubling when they their mouths write checks that they can't cash. Um and here we have a show like Star Wars Rebels that is just at the heart of everything that's good and right about Star Wars. And, um, you know, I'd hate for it to ever become second fiddle to the movies, you know, steamrolling over it when it itself is so valid. Hopefully we won't ever get there, but I suppose it could happen. Um, But anyway, that's all we know about this Game of Thrones situation. There's a little bit more we have about uh, about Solo because all through this past week, EW has been putting out little puff pieces about various aspects of Solo, and as per usual, sprinkled in these puff pieces are little cores of information, things we can attach to and glean something from. There's a particularly good piece that's just got a bunch of of new photos from the film, and they're all really exciting um, stills that you should totally check out. We'll link to it on this episode's page. We get more clean interiors of the Falcon. We get Lando surrounded by aliens playing Sabacc. Um, and, and a picture of Mimbon, the, uh, the, the planet from Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which we talked about a couple episodes ago, which might actually be the first, like, by, in, in seeing it there, it might be the first thing we've ever really seen of the planet, because whatever, um, all the storm cloud stuff is Mimbon, but I'm not sure we've seen the surface of it until just now. And what we do see is, well, it's not much. We see mud troopers. <laughs> uh. I love the the environmental armies. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and we're the article confirms that Mimban is a marshy swamp world um, with with an atmosphere of thunderstorms. Um, the roller coaster train is called the Conveyx, and uh, we finally get the official word on Woody Harrelson's character name. We've known it was Beckett for a while. He mentioned it in interviews months and months ago, but officially he is Tobias Beckett, a criminal who's hoping to up his status with a big score by organizing a daring heist. Which, you know, any sort of description that marks them to one event on a movie that's already been officially confirmed as taking place over a, a point of time, you know, or, or, or different time periods, rather. It's interesting, like, I, I wonder what that means for the character if he only appears in, like, one or if just one time period of the movie dominates you know it may just be like oh we get some character introductions over the first you know 20 30 minutes and then we get to the meat of the film where these characters all meet up later on or something i don't know it's it's just interesting that they everybody else is described about the way they inform solo's journey over time whereas beckett's is about specifically a daring heist well, but also his role as a father figure and someone who helps motivate Solo's feeling that he should have a sort of an established personal code. Mm. Um, so that's that's in there. I feel like we, with what if you p- put all the pieces together from these EW articles, he his character is informed in more ways than than just that line. Okay. That's good. I think I, if I had to guess, what's going to be happening is we'll be introduced to a core cast of characters that will effectively spiral in and out of Solo's life over a period of time, but creating a Ouroboros of a sort. 
like you know maybe maybe Beckett you know you think he's dead and then he comes back and Han has to come to terms with that you know this man made him but he's not he's not going to play his games anymore he's a Han is a better man or a more cynical man maybe Beckett's perspective has changed and Han's disappointed in him you know it's going to come I think if they have they have a moment where they develop that mentorship role and then it'll go away they'll have a falling out but it probably won't in there. He'll probably come back and have something to do with whatever's happening in the third act. That just, I mean, why should I assume this is going to go by any kind of story structure that I can pull off the top of my head? But it might. So we actually know, you know, still very, very little about the structure of the film. But we did get a tidbit that helps it make a little bit more sense than the generic blurbs. And it's not plot, but it is indicative of uh, the heart of the movie, I assume, I hope. And that's a quote from Lawrence Kasdan, who said, To me, this is a love story between Han and Chewie. Their relationship has always been my favorite part of the saga. Which is great and kind of crazy because Chewbacca is... He's been notoriously a non-character for this whole time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a game now of how many times can we see Chewbacca? How many films can he be featured in? And everybody be like, it's Chewbacca! I love Chewbacca! Without him actually doing anything. Poor Chewie. Like, I mean, he really has gotten the shaft so far in the sequel trilogy, but well, except for that nicely placed shot to Kylo. But I don't know. Do, do you do you buy that that his favorite aspect of the saga has always been Han and Chewie's relationship? How could it be? How? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think back specifically to Empire and try to. I mean, there are some nice little exchanges between Han and Chewie, but. It never seemed to be something that was like given anything more than like a chance for Han to say something funny to Chewie. You know, what are you laughing at? Or him leaning over and telling him, passing off what 3PO told him as his own information and just like little humor things. It never seemed to be a moment about, you know, Han and Chewie. But that being said, you want to convince me of that and show me a lot of that sort of thing in this movie, please do. Exactly. Yeah. That might be smoke blown up our ass, but. Yeah if that is actually the nature of the film and if Chewbacca actually does get the opportunity to have a character, well, for one, this is for sure the place to do it. And for two, I would welcome that. I really would. Mm -hmm. Um, The article also describes the movie as a combination film noir and Western with buddy comedy elements smuggled inside. And we could figure most of that, but the noir thing is kind of interesting because I think we mentioned it in recent episodes as our own postulation based on what we've seen recently, Mm -hmm. but not, actually coming from the mouth of the promotional machine. Right. And I can see all of those elements. I imagine the buddy cop element is what <laughs> Lord and Miller left in, you know, based on their 21 Jump Street days. But, you know, that that great EW exclusive shot of Han and Chewie on the outside of the conveyor Like, I mean, really, I mean, that is as space Western as it gets. And I am super excited about that sequence. Yeah, that there's like a great train robbery in Star Wars. Oh yeah, fuck yeah, this is right. This is this feels right. I mean, <laughs> again, not a movie that I ever would have wanted, and it's very well documented how much I didn't. But if this ends up being the funky Star Wars film that we haven't gotten yet, exactly, uh, certain elements of Rogue One excluded, I'm I'm all on board. Show, show me, show me weird Star Wars again, please. Now, uh, as for the rest of the content from EW, there's a lot of one-off spotlights on different characters. And most of them are just, you know, nice filler and actor reactions and so on. But there's a little bit of information in there. For example, there was a spotlight on L3, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character. And 
this is going to be interesting. This droid could go very, very wrong. Um, or very, very right, because everything visually we've seen of the droid and her cute little like finger gesture with Lando and all that, that seems kind of rad. But this droid is self-modified, a mixture of various parts of different kinds of droids who then improved on them herself, and the uh, female pronouns are officially used in these pieces. So much like EV-99, this is a quote-unquote female droid. I don't know, you know what that means. I don't think anyone's really ever bothered to explore that. But if they have, let us know. So her character is centered around the novelty of a droid with a sense of individuality, which is like you get this from all the quotes in the articles, which I thought was odd because they're saying this droid won't be stiff. And that's fine. We haven't really seen that in the films. Clearly, Chopper isn't stiff, but you don't know what Chopper's saying. Um, And K2SO is stiff, but also is full of independent personality. That's his problem. Mm -hmm. So I'm and you know 3PO is full of personality and R2 is full of personality. I'm like so you're tell what are you what exactly are you saying here? <laughs> um but uh L3 is described as having a high IQ and being more idiosyncratic than a typical droid. Um more human perhaps which EW postulates probably means more emotional and slightly less rigid. Okay, sure. Um and not surprisingly they're heavily giving the impression that this character hinges on comic relief, though I could also suspect that that might just be an oversimplification for these puff pieces. I, I think that's also heavily informed by the very talented actor they got to, to portray, though. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is very funny and very talented, and so I, I definitely believe strong comic relief elements coming. Yeah, and hopefully strong, actually strong, and not forced. Yeah. And Kazdan said... She has a working relationship with Lando, very sophisticated and very informed by years of working together. Which makes me think about how there is no L337 in Rebels when Lando's there. Lando very specifically has a different droid with him in Rebels. Mm-hmm. So take that as you may. And kind of, you know, if this film had been in production when that season of Rebels is in production, we might have just gotten this character. But... It is what it is, and the films, you know, everything rewrites everything else with the films being the dominant level of continuity. So, we'll see. I mean, either way, maybe this droid moves on. Maybe they break up, you know, like a lover's quarrel. (laughs) Who knows? There's plenty of options. There's always a way to write around something. Kira, not a lot of information, but some good quotes from the actor. Um, What we did learn is that she and Han Solo were kids together, and they grew up as partners in crime. And uh, that as t- in terms of getting a little bit more insight into her character and how we see her like looking both like a street rat and also like kind of glammed out. She's a survivor who does what she has to do in the underworld. And uh, there's a quote uh, here is that it's uh, it's dangerous and it's sordid and it's ugly and it's really, really dark. There are loads of different gangstery elements running through it. It's been really fun to put Kira in that. She has a couple of guises, but essentially she's just fighting to stay alive. I didn't get much out of the puff pieces that they did for her, except, you know, they use the femme fatale description quite a bit. And some of the shots were very noirish, if that's, you know, what they're trying to do. But some of the interview with Amelia Clark seems to be that the character is, you know, pretty dynamic. So I, I think they're keeping a lot. They'll keep a lot of, of that role under wraps until the film actually releases. Yeah. 
if you had to imagine the kind of lady that Han Solo would have a long-standing, complicated relationship with, it sounds like she's hitting all the notes you would expect. Yeah. Now, Lando, there's not much to say about Lando, but there's one just amazing picture of him with this multi-headed shrimp alien playing Sabacc, and there's a quote from Donald Glover about that scene, which really gives me hope for the charm of this film. He said, I had a good time with that character. We improved a lot together, actually. She doesn't speak English, so it's a little hard, but I had a fun time with those puppeteers. They're really good, probably some really good outtakes on set. Hmm. And the first thing I wondered was, I wonder who shot that scene. Right. If that was a uh, Lord and Miller, very possible. That's the kind of thing that they would have done and, you know, left in the movie because it works so well with with, you know, Donald Glover. I would say that alien right next to him has already become a, fa- a favorite of mine. The, the, the shrimp shrimp alien. I can't wait to um, learn more about that alien, hopefully in some kind of weird uh, novel of aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also can't wait to eat a, a meal at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge inspired by that character. <laughs> So that's that's all I've got on Han Solo. Do you have any solo stuff, Matt? Something that I really liked that Amelia Clark said in her interview about the film. Yeah, it was a question was asked of her: Is there pressure to make a movie like this match up with the ones that came before? And I loved the, at least the beginning of her answer. She said, "The joy of this movie is it's like we're the kids at the back of the bus. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody else is doing the big stuff, and we're just kind of making this stupid, cool, really funny, weird movie, and no one's looking." All the Star Wars films have got obviously a beautiful flavor of humor in them, but this this gets to be Han Solo funny, which is not the comic interlude. The comic interlude is it. I don't like that she transitions into the the funny, like focusing on that, but her talking about it being the weird, stupid, cool, like not big stuff is exactly what I want from this movie. Yes, I don't want to find out that Han Solo's father was killed by Darth Vader. I don't want to find out, you know, that someone's called him a scruffy looking nerf herder before. Like, I want it to be cool and funny or, you know, funny. Sure. I want it to be funny, but, you know, I don't want that to be the focus, but weird. And and then the next answer that she gave, um, uh, it was a question about ugliness behind money and power. And she mentioned that it's, you know, but we have the main storyline talk about what the smuggling gambling black market world is like it's dangerous and it's sorted and it's ugly and it's really really dark there are loads of different gangstery elements running through it like that once again that's exactly what i want from this movie i want space gangsters and huts and scum and villainy and and i love that she can spit that out because she's seen it and she knows it you know that's that's on that's that's, on the forefront of her mind as something to yep. say about this film. So yes, very, very, very encouraging. And I, I really look forward to, you know, to scenes that highlight that scum and villainy and, and also with, you know, that that comedic edge, like like the long rumored scene, you know, where uh, Han busts into uh, a, a job, not Jabba's throne room. He's not, a, he's not, we're not going back to Tatooine in this movie, but, you know, wherever Jabba's camped out for whatever vacation he's on and, and <laughs> Cassian Andor's there, uh, you know, like tied up with the thing around his neck and, and Han Han rescues him, but but then he's like, why did you take me from him? He was magnificent. I've never been so happy in my life. I cannot go back now, and it's all your fault. Damn you, Han Solo. Damn you to hell. That's why Cassian Andor is such a broken man at the beginning, is he's been yanked away from Yaba by Han. <sighs> so frustrating. <laughs> anyway, I, that scene, long rumored, of course. Um, we've been reporting on it for months, as you know. Can't wait for it. 
<laughs> on to Star Wars Rebels. Actually, before we go on to Star Wars Rebels, because this might be where you part ways with us, let me just mention that uh, this program is co-produced by the Nerdy Show Network, and that means that we record in the Nerdy Show Studios, and that means that we rely on you for your generous support. If you go to patreon.com slash nerdyshow, you can help fund all the shows on the Nerdy Show Network. Yes, this show is on the Consequence Podcast Network, but... That doesn't mean that we're getting fat stacks to exist. I mean, not yet anyway. We're just getting started. But for now, yes, we still rely on listener contributions. And if you want to join us over at patreon.com slash nerdy show, there are a ton of State of the Empire perks available and also a ton of great programming over at Nerdy Show. I run it. Matt and I are on other shows. So explore that if you haven't yet. And if you don't want to get any money involved, okay, fine, fine. I mean, that's not great for us but okay fine we'd really appreciate it if you would go to itunes and rate or review the show we actually haven't had um an itunes review in a while we read them here on the show and it would be awesome if you did that because itunes is still the number one place to discover podcasts or if you want to get extra involved you can check out Podchaser, which is a really cool new platform for podcast discovery it's in open beta right now and you don't only rate and review shows there but you can also rate and review individual episodes so if you think this episode's particularly good leave it a rating leave a review we pay attention to this stuff we'll see it and uh you know it can be a great way to interface with us and uh get your thoughts read on the show another way to do that is to straight up hang out with us on the star wars spoilers facebook group which uh, you can just search state of the empire star wars spoilers you'll find it and uh as all these big news things are breaking like the game of Thrones guys conversations are happening there we're posting on there it's a great way to join in on the discussion at large as it's happening. And, you know, share a prequel meme every now and then. <laughs> so we're not going to open the blast doors because if you've been following along with us, then you're probably all caught up. We're going to open the blast doors later when spoilers for things that haven't happened yet are going to happen. But right now, we're just going to talk about Rebel Season 4, the episodes that have happened so far. Rebels returns February 19th. And here's the crazy thing. It ends March 5th. I'm furious about that. Like, I probably while we're in the midst of it, I'll be very happy to know how it's going to conclude because it's going to be driving me crazy. But like, you do that sort of thing to a show that you're just trying to burn off because you're disappointed. You know, it's always been middling as far as success. And, you know, you're giving everyone a final season for closure, but you really just need to get it out there. And it's very surprising to me that that, that Rebels is getting that treatment. Right. I mean, I is it not doing well? Did it not? I mean, I know Clone Wars like destroyed it as far as success. But, you know, honestly, and Disney probably doesn't want to hear this. That's probably more of an XD problem than it is a Cartoon Network or, uh, you know, a Rebels problem. I, I just think Cartoon Network is just doing a lot better. Yeah. Cartoon Network has a market share. Cartoon Network is straight up on more televisions. Yep. So I just it deserves better, um, you know, but then again. I mean, also, I feel like the show's been on like three different nights over the course of its four seasons. So that also isn't a good indicator that they've ever been happy with how it's doing when it airs. And I'm just glad they didn't pull the plug. You know, I, you worry about the problem with this transmedia environment is is when it comes to shared universe stuff, you know, when are they going to pull the plug on something? You know, I know Peggy Carter with with marvel like it was never a critical element that they needed to tell that story so when it got canceled after season two you know i was disappointed to see peggy go but i wasn't disappointed to see that show go and uh 
you know, and, and obviously, though, Marvel's reached the point where they're not afraid anymore, like Inhumans, you know, getting just killed off before it could really get underway. That's how you describe that? Marvel not being afraid anymore? Well, I think because, well, I'll put it this way. There was a there was a time when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wasn't doing well, and there was rumors that they're going to pull the plug, and the fans started to get very uppity about that possibility because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was still telling stories you know, especially with the fallout of what happens in Winter Soldier to S.H.I.E.L.D. that probably needed to be told. And I'm I'm just worried that something like that's going to happen eventually to Star Wars. You know, I mean, it already kind of happens in the EU where, you know, certain stories that were going on at the end of all things. And then, you know, the Disney acquisition happened and it doesn't wrap up nicely, unfortunately. But, you know, I just... Well, I want Clone Star Wars, Wars to do well. It scares me the day that a TV that a Star Wars TV show is going to get canceled. I mean, was it was it canceled or was it ending by design? I always assumed it was ending by design. Was it canceled? Well, no, no, no. Rebels is ending by design, but the burn off of the episodes tells me that it just never ever got traction. Clone Wars was canceled, but all, right. once again, that was because of the the pending sale. You know, that had a lot to do with it. Oh, man, yeah, it, it's so this will be three weeks and it'll all be over once it starts, which is absolutely insane. And and then we know Dave Filoni is working on another show. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's another show for Disney XD. Maybe it's another show for for Dis- one of the many creators working on Disney's app. It just I'm I think that he, you know, he's in the story group, but he should be in a more privileged position because he's essentially George Lucas's Padawan um, who's consistently told better stories than George is capable of and gosh there's a lot to be said of that like his word should be law you know in terms of mm-hmm. building this Star Wars universe but I'm you know I, but who can say whether or not the the business entities at play would be willing to hear that I just I don't ever want Star Wars to lose its heart and Rebels has a lot of heart so this season this last season aside from everything coming out very abrupt as it ends. It's been, I feel a little weird. Mm-hmm. I was under the impression it was going to be a, a four season show in order to make it really gel with a new hope happening. And where are these characters going to be? These Jedi characters that should not be active during that era of the rebellion. It's been a very, and I see this happen with a lot of shows, particularly in their last seasons when, like the focus hasn't gotten necessarily smaller, but they've narrowed it in on one thing and it changes the pacing of the show. Like, you know, I could tune in one week on Rebels and like this is clearly taking place potentially months or weeks or days after what has come before. But everything is so continuous this season so far, focusing on that Lothal liberation that it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's very jarring, that pacing change. Yeah, no, that, that is exactly true. That's, yeah. And there are things like it opened with the two-parter that wrapped the entire Mandalorian arc that they were setting up in season three than the Heroes of Mandalore storyline. And I felt like, okay, so that, that did need to wrap. They did need to get Sabine back with the rest of the group. But it all happened so quickly and then had that weird thing where it looked like Sabine's mom died in the first part. And we were, you and I, having seen that episode at Star Wars Celebration, thought mm-hmm. for the better part of a year she was dead. I was shook by that episode. Which was amazing. Like, that that was a ballsy move. And then it turned out, nah. And if you saw the episode when it aired it would have had like next to zero impact. I know it's crazy. I, because they aired both episodes the same night, right? That yeah. Was, that's yeah. I'm remembering that correctly. Mm-hmm. It's odd. And maybe we should have figured that out the first night. Well, I mean, there's no reason to figure that out, but they showed that episode at Star Wars Celebration. And then prior to that, the, the, during the panel, Dave Filoni had worn that Ahsoka lives question mark shirt. And then, like, the lights came back on, and everyone's like, oh, my God, that was a really horrifying ending. Like, it was it was kind of messed up. And um, all the attention was directed back towards now Dave Filoni was wearing the Ahsoka lives with an exclamation mark over the question mark. And it was, like, all the, like, the breath that had been sucked out of everybody from that very jarring, horrifying ending of the first half of the premiere was suddenly put back into something that wasn't as, like jarringly important at the time as Sabine's mother dying slightly off screen. So obviously I guess it, it it doesn't seem like maybe it wasn't that important to them. Cause like for everybody else watching it, they're going to have that answered right away. Oh no, she's okay. It was a really weird circumstance of context. Yeah. So, but, but I didn't think about it until after, you know, the, the two part premiere was on TV and we saw how quickly it was, you know, debunked, I guess, because I never questioned that she was dead. I was like, she died. And it was well done. And it was horrifying. Yeah. The Empire is very scary. Yes. And that was so important. And then and then where Rebels is just a it's a fantastic show. But every now and then it becomes a little too nerf like. And all of a sudden, you know, oh, yeah, I didn't really die. (laughs) Surprise. Yeah. Yeah. What a fucking shame. I know. Uh, and and then and to, to to add on top of that, Sabine's Mando legacy was cut off. You know, she she ends up like not, you know, she gives up the dark saber. Mm-hmm. And I thought the I thought the point of that storyline throughout Rebels was that she was coming into her own as the new like essentially leaders of the Mandalorians. You know that she was she's the one that's you know sticking up against the empire or you know rebelling and is destined to be their new leader but she finds somebody that you know a clone wars legacy that you know she felt was deserving of continuing on the mandalorian culture and she gives it up and i just 
was sort of thrown by that. I was like, oh, I thought this was Sabine's story, but it ends up being, unfortunately, not just for the sake, I feel, of bringing her back to the gang. Yeah, which makes me wonder if between seasons they had um, a story change, either, you know, maybe of their own design or maybe for some other reason. Possibly. Hard to say. Actually, something I want to bring up is between the, well, what we saw at Star Wars Celebration and the return of Rebels, Dave Filoni did a couple interesting tweets involving some deleted scenes, some stuff, just moments that did never, probably never got made or recorded at all um, via Twitter. He, uh, he wrote, It just occurred to me that I never got to tell you the story of the time that Bendu met Ahsoka Tano. It was a brief encounter which took place around the end of the episode The Mystery of Chopper Base from Season 2, just before, just before Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra left on their fateful mission to Malachor. Of their conversation, you might find this dialogue to be the most interesting. Bendu, you are set on this confrontation then? Ahsoka, I have to know the truth. Bendu, so be it, but understand this. Much will change as a result of this encounter, including you. Ahsoka, isn't that true of all things as time advances? Bendu, my dear, when I say change, I mean death. Ahsoka, so I will die? Bendu, will you? I didn't know that. Goodbye then, Ahsoka Tano, former Jedi Knight. I really like that scene. Yeah. That's some good, like, um, Agra from Dark Crystal kind of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... When uh, when Jin says that the um, the mystic is is dead and, and Augur's like sniffs the air, and she's like, oh, could be anywhere then. <laughs> there was another one that uh, Filoni posted, um, which comes the, which come with an image. Uh, we'll link to it on this episode's page of uh, of Ahsoka and Kanan together. He said, if you ever wondered if Kanan and Ahsoka knew each other or had met while they were younglings at the Jedi Temple, the answer is yes, they had met, though they did not know each other well and had at least done some saber training together. Years later, when she met Kanan, Ahsoka needed to see how prepared he was for the next conflict. Here is a small piece of that scene, and perhaps a realization in that many ways Ahsoka was a mentor to Kanan. Ahsoka, even at a young age you were gifted with a lightsaber, but without training and discipline, those skills fade. Kanan, so it seems. Kanan gets up again. He is a bit dispirited. Kanan, I haven't had to fight with my lightsaber very often. For a while I chose not to. I was... Kanan struggles with the moment. Ahsoka helps. Ahsoka, you are afraid to use it. I understand. Kanan appreciates her words. Kanan, I've been teaching Ezra as best I can. I want him to be the Jedi I am not. That I couldn't be. Ahsoka, and I want you to be the Jedi that you are. Which, again, is a cool scene. Yeah, it's a great scene. And uh, I wonder what that says about me. That my uh, probably my favorite Jedi Knight in the Disneyverse is a like self-loathing Jedi Knight. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It just means you like a character with a little bit of depth. He is not a superficial Jedi. He's really, he's lived through some awful shit. He really has. Yeah. Yeah. That, that we'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) So after the heroes of Mandalore, we got another two parter, the name in the name of the rebellion, which focused on, uh, and acted as more of that, uh, Rogue One prequel stuff that we didn't get enough of in the prior season. Oh, and it was such a good two-parter too, at least for me. I don't know how you felt about Cap, but oh, I love this these episodes. I I liked it. I liked it a lot, and I would I would like it even more if I thought there was a chance of getting some further development slash resolution for Saw's character within the scope of Rebels. 
But being right. that they're so honed in on Lothal for these final episodes, I freaking doubt that. Yeah, I, I doubt it too. And I will say at the time, I certainly thought that's where we were going. I thought we were going full speed ahead into Rogue One from this from these episodes. Right. Them doubling back and making Lothal like the big ender. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it became pretty apparent early on that that was going to happen once it started. But from this point, you know, at episodes three and four of the season, it seemed like, oh boy, here we go. Right. And, and it's, it was funny at the time I had just finished reading the Thrawn book too. And something that the rebels show never managed to get across, but yet it keeps coming up in the transmedia stuff, novels, comics is that Lothal is very key to the empire. I always assumed maybe that's just bias based on where Luke was coming from and Tatooine in a new hope that Lothal was just another outer rim subjugated place. But Lothal is a very key resource for the Empire in the Outer Rim. It kind of like, it's a big domino. And in Thrawn, they talk about it a lot because a lot of it takes place from the perspective of uh, Governor Price. And both in what Lothal provides as far as material that can be used to build ships like Star Destroyers or as they're kind of hinting towards the Death Star. You know, plus just transportation hubs, the Imperial Academy is there. There's a former Jedi temple there, like all these things. It's gotten to the point where the TV show seems like they're freeing Lothal for personal reasons. Whereas properties like Thrawn and a couple of the comics have sort of stated that Lothal is a very key strategic element that needs to be freed. Not necessarily because of the rebel gang within the show, but because of the war at large. And I wish the show did a better job of that, I suppose. Yeah, and it would only take a couple lines to do it. Yep. But considering the lines that Cloney has shown us get cut, <laughs> I yeah. suppose it's no surprise. Like, it's weird what they leave in what they leave out. I mean, it's really uh, downright baffling, actually. <laughs> yeah, it, it really, they've really turned it back towards this, like, Ezra just wants all of his fellow citizens to be free. And that's not a reason why Mon Mothma would get, and even Mon Mothma is a little resistant. Of, of doing this in, in Rebels. But there's a reason the Rebellion needs to free Lothal or shake off the yoke that the Empire has there. And that is, the, it's the key to the Outer Rim. Yeah. Um, in the Name of the Rebellion is the first time we see Yavin 4 in the show. Everyone meets up there. Um, there's an Imperial Communications relay on Jalindi that uh, is getting the jump on Alliance stuff. And so Mon Mothma wants to intercept um, rather than, like, be like, all right, well, let's, you know, be terrorists and destroy that. Then Sagarera has apparently been, like, his operation uh, is so tight at this point, I guess before he descends into madness from the gas leak or whatever that we're never going to see on screen, it, it turns out. Um, hmm. <laughs> he's, he's been monitoring all their shit. He's, like, he's inside her droids listening to things, which is very cool, and speaks a lot to the kind of operation that we see after Saw is gone in the Star Wars comics in the new Ashes of Jedha storyline, which recently ended and was spectacular start to finish. So this starts a great dialogue for Ezra as a character. Ezra has all these weird connections to things that make him such a strange character. He's got the Force sensitivity directed towards animals, and he is comfortable with smugglers and scoundrels. He seems to thrive there. He feels more comfortable there and I mean, the rest of his his you know de facto family they cannot relate at all. But he loves hanging out with Hondo. He loves hanging out with Visago, like. And these fuckers, like, 
he has no reason to trust them and he kind of he and he doesn't but he likes them right so so saw guerrera like he's yeah and 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 he's got that link to darth maul i mean he goes all the way back to phantom menace you know and he's born the same day as luke and leia are like he is a big linchpin of the entire saga like it all comes together on ezra which is very strange and interesting and has been done so well I ain't going to argue with it. <laughs> yep. Um, so, like, you know, the the part part two rolls around um, with Shift's plot entirely, but but shifts it over to a more intimate story with Sabine, Ezra, and Saw Gerrera on a, on a mission where they're... Saw is convinced, f- increasingly fanatical, that there's a super weapon being built, and he thinks the Empire has it in this cargo freighter that they infiltrate. He's wrong... But he's also very right <laughs> um, because it's full of kyber crystals, well, a big kyber crystal especially, and uh, engineers that have been imprisoned and are being, they're from Coruscant and they're being shipped to Jeddah and no one knows why. And that whole thing, it's just, it's great. Saw has to destroy the giant kyber crystal. The engineers decide they want to join the rebel cause. They head back to Yavin 4. Yeah, it, it sets the whole Saw Gerrera becoming an uh, active terrorist on Jeddah thing for Rogue One. It really acts as a good prequel of sorts to kind of get rogue one going you know if you combine it with a couple other things like the catalyst novel and rebel rising and a couple of things it's the kind of good eu type things that i would have appreciated back during like the prequel era and if we can just get one more episode one more saw episode it'll be Mm -hmm. ironclad but Yeah. yeah don't think it's gonna happen and it shouldn't. It sh- at this point it shouldn't. But I'm still hoping, praying. Like one episode, just for no reason. They just here's here's what Saw's doing. It's an all Saw Guerrera episode. <laughs> or give me a comic. I don't know. Give me something. Fill in the blank, please. It's there. The blank is there. It's obviously there. Just one story. Yeah. I mean, just it's weird because you know they've they've given us those confirmations that his injuries have a lot to do with you know Geonosian gas, but he still seems fine. And now he's on the way to Jeddah. So when's this supposed to happen, guys? Like, I, you know, where where does the saw that, you know, there's not much of me left, you know, where where is that saw coming from? Yeah, we need that. I don't know why we didn't get it. And where does he get the bull gullet? And why <laughs> does he get the bull gullet? <laughs> Just like, what's up with bull gullet, period. The world may never know. Yeah. The world probably doesn't need to know either. <laughs> Somewhere in this mess, uh, Krennic gets a name drop, but I forget when. And according to Filoni, that's all we're going to get. Um, he said, I was imagining a shot with Vader and Krennic and the Emperor, but it's like having a cape convention with those guys. Then you have Tarkin and Thrawn, and it starts to look like a legion of bad guys. When you get too many bizarre Star Wars villains together, I don't know if it works for me. And then he also said that, that there was also like a budgetary constraint of like, capes are expensive <laughs> i mean i disagree i i understand what he's saying capes totally work for me and a, a legion of bad guys you know i mean they had one in a new hope but <laughs> um come on you you totally know ben mendelson would totally be on board with coming back to voice krennic i mean that's probably not even a difficult ask yeah uh yeah that would be amazing i mean having the, the mendelsons together for a show come on oh so cool Another weird thing I just want to go back and mention is that for, is that you would suspect that maybe part two of In the Name of the Rebellion 
would have been had some greater tie to the writing staff for Rogue One. But in fact, it was part one, which was written by Gary Whitta, which was far less entangled with Rogue One. Don't know how that happened. It's very strange. Yeah. Then we got the, the, the occupation, which starts the whole Lethal arc. Here we, you know, right right away, basically, episode five, it's already it's already begun. Um, Ryder from Lothal alerts that there's a new version of the TIE Defender being worked on. The crew uses Visago to smuggle them in, which was great. Um, they see the planet is, like, burning. You can see it from the atmosphere. They don't really know what's up. And, like, clearly it is because it's being strip-mined. Later on in the episode, uh, Crawler Commandeers, that you actually see the, a mining guild or crawler stripping Lothal of its natural materials. So that's interesting. And they haven't really ever, they haven't bothered to explain that. It's just sort of happening. It's just kind of like Captain Planet. Uh, they're, they're burning, they're making fires, they're, they're strip mining. It's bad. But there's, there's a reason they're doing it, and that's fascinating. Um, then Flight of the Defender, the, the ghost crew has resolved we're okay so we're here we're stuck here we got to make our insurgency on this planet count so let's just blow up the factory which turns into sabine's plan to steal a tide defender and get the flight data uh, recorder out of it and then they also get the hyperdrive out of it and there's this whole like confrontation with thrawn which is kind of strange but all in all uh, a great episode co-written by dave filoni that starts the mysticism that's been long hinted to for ezra because when he and Sabine are hiding this hyperdrive with the Emperor or the Imperials looking for them, um, we get the first encounter with the Lothwolf, um, who puts Sabine into a deep sleep and then dreamwalks both of them straight back to their, their camp. And then the wolf talks to Ezra and says, Doom, which is Kanan's last name. And confirmed as Kanan's last name by the captions of the episode the subtitles it wasn't you know doom it, although they might be trying to use it's like as a homonym type play but it was definitely subtitled as Kanan's actual last name doom i have a question about that though when did we did we ever learn Kanan's actual last name in the show or did we learn it from the comic books i want to say it was dropped in the show. So then in the next episode, Kindred, we get the on-screen debut of the character Rook, who's um, Thrawn's like, go-to hunter dude, voiced by Warwick Davis, though through a bunch of heavy modulation. And it's amazing how ineffective he is. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of hype for this character. Yeah, more, more Timothy Zahn EU stuff brought back in just to... I mean, at least Thrawn wins occasionally, but, you know, this show doesn't do the Empire any services of, like, actually making them scary. Yeah, which is a shame. I mean, he manages to put a tracking beacon on them to lead Governor Price back to the hideout, and everybody has to get split up, and Hera and Chopper evacuate to Yavin with the flight recorder. Great. Um, and the escape is cool, but, I mean, like, you know, but we're going to see more of Rook in the next half of the season, and I'm hoping that he's going to be an actual creepy adversary and not just like a flavor of the week nuisance. Cause that's all he was, yeah. was a nuisance. And then this episode ends with one of the craziest things that's happened so far, which is the, the Lothwolf reappears to everybody who's still at the hideout and gets them into a hidden tunnel complex 
imbued with the Force, and then they emerge in a hidden settlement halfway across the planet from where they were, which was visited in ancient times by the Jedi who erected the secret temple on Lothal that Ezra and Kanan had previously gone to another season. And all this happens, and it all makes complete sense, and doesn't feel weird, even though it's very, very weird. <laughs> it's just so much going on, and the pacing so strange that I was just like, yeah, it does make sense, but it's a heavy, heavy revelation that, you know, really leaves you kind of wondering where are they going next? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's all, it all points to whatever the hell's going to happen. I mean, like we were, we're so in the dark about, we, I mean, after, once we open the blast doors, we'll, we'll postulate a, a bunch, yeah. but, um, crawler, crawler commandeers the next episode. Uh, it's, it's fun. It's interesting. We've talked about it before for its weird, um, willow references and then, but then, really, it all it all leads to Rebel Assault, the last episode before the midseason break, where Hera has convinced the Alliance to lead an attack on Lothal, and because Thrawn finally, finally shows his competence, and really, I mean, he did in the prior season a, a bit, and at the season's end, but like you know, it's yeah. it, it's good to see the rebellion take some hits in this show, because like you said, it doesn't happen much. Um, yeah. He he takes down everybody, people die, the. Only survivors of this attack are Hera, Chopper, and um, uh, a pilot named Mart. And um, they're all hunted through the city by Rook. Hera gets kidnapped. Chopper and Mart get picked up by Kanan. And uh, Kanan has this brief interlude with this Lothwolf. And that's that. <laughs> now we get to see how all these things combine into... I, I mean, can Lothal even be liberated is that something that can even happen or should even happen before a new hope i mean it would certainly impact very heavily if it doesn't bring me down like rogue one like give me give me a little bit of something to hang on to and and really luke should fill that definition of a new hope you know it'd be great if rebels finishes on a sour note with a glimmer and rogue one finishes on a sour note with a glimmer and then you know the prodigal son enters the scene not that everything has to be subservient to the Skywalker story, but, you know, it is the story of the saga, I guess. It is the so. it is about the downfall of the Empire. Right. But before then, everyone was miserable, and that's where they started winning. I mean, that's, as far as we know, that's yeah. the narrative. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we get the message, you know, that Rebel starships striking from an base have won their first victory. It's right there. First victory, and let me tell you, after seeing Rogue One, oof, that was a that was a, a you know it cost them a lot. So you know it, it actually kind of reminds me of Attack of the Clones, the or you know when Obi Wan does that. I have to say, without the clones, it wouldn't have been a victory. And Yoda has those very awkwardly delivered, but but wise words, you know, victory, victory. You say like, yeah, they won the day, but they got to be down on themselves for what it took, and doesn't look good when at Yavin until you know one lucky shot goes in so prepare ourselves that rebels will end in a bad way maybe maybe that's why they're trying to get it done with <laughs> maybe because they know that this is going to be a downer it was always going to be a downer there's no way they could the, Disney's the ones who wanted a story set during this time period and they knew and they were probably warned hey look if we put Jedi characters in here they have to die or something terrible has to happen to them and hey if we're doing X and Y we can't devalue the fact that A New Hope starts this way but they were like but give us a show in less than six months 
<laughs> so here we are. If they don't like what they're getting, well, another show's coming out and might, you know, have something to do with loose ends left from this show, or it's all going to be uh, tidy. <laughs> yeah. Because everybody's dead. <laughs> anyway, now's the time where we're going to open those blast doors and talk about what's to come and what we think might happen. I'm a little scared about what's on the other side of the blast doors, to be honest with you. I don't want this show to end, despite knowing the necessity of it ending. It's going to be very emotional for me. Open the blast doors. Open the blast doors. All right. Here's the lineup. February 19th, two episodes. Jedi Knight, followed by an episode called Doom, all in caps. That's D-U-M-E. Yeah, and emphasis, Jedi Knight, N-I-G-H-T, not not with a K. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, you know, if we're going to play the game where the second episode is Doom, and, you know, the previous episode is, you know, Jedi Knight and Knight, Doom could be the reaction to someone dying in the, in the first episode. Yeah, I mean, th- this this two-pack this two here could be the last ride of Kanan. Yes. I mean, th- certainly the series cannot end without someone dying. Certainly. And all we know is Hera makes it through via other property. And, and Chopper, right? We've seen yeah. Chopper. Hera and Chopper are both alive and well, but what on earth has happened to them? Good question. Yeah. Oof. She's definitely strong enough to continue you know, fighting in the rebellion, so that's great. Presumably members of the Ghost crew are still around to help her man the ship when it attacks um, Scarif. Yeah, I mean, and of course they could staff with any number of people. I mean, you know, it's just like, seeing the rebel soldiers behind Lando in the Falcon during the Battle of Endor. And and presumably there's people in the turrets. So, mm. you know, I'm sure they staffed staffed the ghost. Right. Uh, next episode's coming out February 26th, Wolves and a Door and A World Between Worlds, which sounds, again, kind of like a two-pack of uh, resolution for, or maybe not resolution, but, but shit dealing with Ezra and his spiritual journey. Yeah, and and if you want to jump ahead to here to some things that we saw in the trailer, yes, we we could talk about this now. You know, we 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 mentioned earlier Ezra being the linchpin for the saga, or a linchpin, and you know, being a a a connective tissue to like almost everything we've seen so far in the Lucasverse and then the Disneyverse. At this point, I mean, now with his little Force journey. In the trailer, we see him standing in front of a tapestry of the Mortis deities or, you know, whatever the beings. I don't know what the the official terminology is for them, but the father, the son, and the daughter. For those Clone Wars vets, they'll definitely remember that very strange trilogy in which Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka go on a a spiritual journey um, in potentially some sort of alternate dimension. I mean, it's first time – or – Star Wars has dealt with alternate dimensions before, but like the first time in any sort of like canon, you know, out to a lot of the world type uh, media, you know, television. You know, now if Ezra is getting highly involved with, you know, these deities that represent the the balance between light and dark of the force. I mean, Ezra's got a huge burden on his shoulders that he's potentially playing. And you know, at some point you have to acknowledge he may be as important as Luke Skywalker is, at least symbolically. I don't know what, what impact he will leave on the galaxy, the legacy he will leave, but certainly he represents something greater than what's going on on the surface of the show. 
At least yeah. that's the way they're positing him with the loath wolves and the loath cats talking to him and, you know, these extra dimensional journeys and talking to Yoda across time and space. And I mean, a lot going on there. Whatever happens with Ezra, it will be of great significance. And if he dies, he will die doing something that probably enables Luke's journey. In some ways, strangely, I mean, I don't know what would have happened on Tatooine in season three when, uh, you know, the, the Tatooine episode. Yeah. I don't know what would have happened if he didn't show up there, but I really encourage people to go back and watch that episode and listen to what, not just listen, but watch the way they portray Tatooine's force spirit and energy and Ezra's interactions with it and, and Obi-Wan talking to him about him being in the wrong place and that he has a different place to be. I mean, he has a destiny. I don't think they're going to leave us wondering what that is by the end of the show. There is definitely a plan and I think they've been planting it for a long time, but there's just so many things going on. It's hard to parse all of it and figure out what it's going to be. Yeah, and if he if he goes through a door and emerges somewhere else in the timeline, um I don't I don't know what that means, but and certainly it couldn't, you know, if if someone like Ezra Bridger existed in the world of the most recent trilogy, it would be a very different story. Um, right. Cuz that that world doesn't see I mean if if Luke is the best they had, <laughs> the the Luke that we now know is the best they had for bringing the Jedi back. I mean, w- then clearly Ezra Bridger wasn't there. Right, right. And you know it is interesting. I mean, he Ezra's had so much at this point. Keeping in mind, he's still you know he's born the same exact day as Luke and Leia, and you know which could have some significance to the world too. Is like you know force sensitive people born on Empire Day. Um, I don't know if that becomes a, you know, you know, they could certainly, you know, I could see foresee in the future them using that as sort of like a, you know, a, I don't know, a date to signify important births. But he has seen so much that Luke and Leia have not experienced that, particularly Luke, obviously, living on a farm and on Tatooine. Like, I mean, he's fought Sith Lords. He's seen the devastation of Malachor. He's seen, you know, he's been at a, a Sith temple trying to access a holocron in the Sith temple. To, you know, try, I mean, he's been through so much forced heavy stuff. You know, he's confronted Vader and, you know, had his ass handed to him. But he's been through that experience. He's taken on Inquisitors. He's done, I mean, so many things. Like, he has to have an enduring legacy of some sort. Or they really could paint the power of the dark side and maybe just, you know, be a huge tease. But snuff it out and maybe that could be you know good segue here into palpatine returning to the show like ian mcdermott's palpatine yeah not not sam Witwer's palpatine mcdermott which is crazy incredible and maybe yeah maybe we could just really get like oh my god the empire is really winning they snuffed out ezra when he's seen all of this and he's grown so much and then take him out yeah and i mean I'm sure whatever if they if that did happen, they'd take him out in a way where he becomes more powerful than you can possibly imagine. But to what end? And I I, I don't know. Um, where he'll be with Ahsoka doing something with the 
father, the daughter, and the son. I don't know, reshaping the force, creating more force-sensitive kids who can pull brooms, no big deal. <laughs> Maybe he gets reincarnated as Broom Boy at the end of this. Oh, God. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so the Emperor actually says, Ezra Bridger, mine at last in this trailer, which is really weird. It like, is. I will say... Just real quick, going back to Ian McDermott, man, does he nail saying the name Ezra Bridger. Ezra I mean, it's Bridger. sinister. Yeah. Oh, it's perfect. That man is a treasure. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. He's Ezra's seemingly in some kind of um, giant like astrolabe building and in also other clips from the trailer that are in the same place. He sees an owl of some kind, the sort of related to the Ahsoka stuff that had been happening. And... Um, but then it also maybe was just a hologram because we see Ezra in front of a hologram of the Emperor. And I don't know if it's, it's is it just the way the trailer's cut or whatever. And then maybe after that, uh, Ezra is able to topple whatever the Emperor's throwing at him because he gets surrounded by Lothwolves. It's hard to say. Um, either way, the fact that the Emperor knows who he is and says, mine at last. What? I mean, okay, so we know from the Emperor's behavior in... Charles Soule's Darth Vader comics that he really wanted to build an army of Vaders. And that's kind of what he was doing with the Inquisitors. And we don't know exactly what the Inquisitors were doing with the force sensitive babies. They've been kidnapping this whole time. But when Vader saw the opportunity to make sure that it was more difficult than it had to be for the emperor to continue to find force sensitive kids, he was like, uh, hell no, I'm the only guy I'm don't want to have to, I'm not going to constantly have to be like fighting like a mongrel dog to maintain my position. And somehow, you know, he allowed for the, the inquisition to exist and trained them to a point, but kept them to a degree of obsolescence. So he'd remain top dog. But if the emperor knows that Ezra Bridger's out there, then he's like, this is my new Vader. This motherfucker right here. I mean, maybe that's his. Maybe that's his agenda. Maybe that's why it's mine at last. Because they don't have a relationship otherwise. Maybe that's the next show. Dark Side oh. Ezra. <laughs> oh, you tease. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that this show ends with a trailer for what comes next. Yeah, I mean, I've 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 read and heard that we will have a good idea of what's next based on the last season of Rebels, and I have to say, so far at the halfway point, I have no idea what that could be. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just I hope that is. I hope those rumors are true. And another reason that this might be an accelerated release is scheduling. Like maybe. Whatever you know, whatever's coming out, they want to have a promotion cycle for it, or they want to have all hands on deck because it's happening in the fall. I'm not sure, yeah. but there, there's lots of reasons why they could be doing this. But it does seem like if they really cared, they would not be forcing it all out in this one bleh, over three weeks. The next batch of stuff we have is an episode called "A Fool's Hope," and then a two-part episode. This is all the same night. This is all March 5th. You get this episode of Fool's Hope and then a dual episode called Family Re- Family Reunion and Farewell. I mean, Family Reunion's encouraging. <laughs> but they're all Force ghosts. Because it's hard to imagine a reunion without Kanan. But once again, you know, it's hard to deny the necessity of possibly killing, you know, at least Ezra and Kanan off. Yeah, I don't know. 
great titles that don't give away much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who's but, the who's the but fool? You can speculate on forever. Yeah, I, or until March fifth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit of canon stuff from what we know, because I kind of I kind of glossed over it early on. Freddie Prince did a podcast with the Force.net, and in it he said the Lothwolves are going to play a vital part in the season, providing a major payoff in the process. Um, in the trailer we see that he cuts his hair and basically goes, you know lone commando busting out Hera and we see in the trailer that he succeeds so that must happen quite quickly yeah what comes after that we can't say because we also get a scene that it's like they show this clip and they really I feel like they should not have shown this clip because there's a lot going on in it it's very short and Zeb says let's go rebels but if you pause that frame because it's a crowd you'll see that they (laughs) they have Governor Price in cuffs and the party consists of Hera Sabine Chopper Captain Rex uh, one of the other clones, like, I forget which one is the one that didn't betray them. Um, and also Hondo, Callus, Ryder, and I think also possibly Sabine's pal Ketsu. But there's like a, a blaster obscuring her face. That's a pretty good group. Yeah, it's like this whole insane raiding party that have kidnapped the governor and are going to start some shit. Uh, and mean, meanwhile, you know, then that's like, one would assume that's the B plot to the, like the stuff that's going to be emotionally crippling. Oh man. But yeah, where, where do we go from here? I don't know, but we will find out quickly. And, uh, boy, following March 5th, we're going to have a heck of an episode of state of the empire for you. So what do you think, Cap? What do you think is going to (laughs) happen? I still thinking people going to die. I think Kanan's going to eat it. I think Ezra is going to do something that is going to cause him to disappear from the playing field, but potentially reappear somewhere else. I agree with you. I think Ezra's end will be as ambiguous as Ahsoka's, and I would not be surprised to find them both in whatever is next. Yeah. And the, the gosh, I mean, maybe they just showed that clip of the, um, that Pantheon from Clone Wars, you know, in the trailer, because they knew uh-huh. it would it would freak everybody out, um, and it's and it's only a passing like little Easter egg in the show. That's possible. It is possibly frozen in carbonite. Possibly, like, maybe he gets filed maybe, away uh, like the Ark at the end of Raiders. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Like you know, it's like oh, this is a project we'll get to when we're ready to you know try to convert him into like a army of powerful darksiders or or Palpatine, you know, future apprentice if Vader fails or something. And then, like, maybe at the beginning of the next series, which will be about Luke's Jedi Academy, Luke comes across him and thaws him out. And now he's got a 17-year-old Ezra as, like, a potential future Jedi Knight. Except that kid would not have let any of this shit happen. <laughs> I think that he's <laughs> he's going to get thawed out by Kylo Ren, and Ezra's going to have the same reaction that you and I have had about the new trilogy of this like morose <laughs> what the fuck happened what was all the fighting for if this is where we are now right right ezra can be our voice in the disney era that would be very amusing maybe luke senses some dark side in, in ezra and kills him in his sleep too <laughs> but one way or another chopper hera and sabine are going to go off and have a bunch of other adventures and liberate mandalore and everything's going to be awesome and all the yeah. stories and about I feel like i feel like zeb is probably safe yeah zeb's safe too oh so i feel bad zeb's 
story has been finished for quite some time. It really has. It's Ever crazy. since he helped his fe- fellow species find their ancestral home, that whole arc that happened, I think, in season two. Yeah. Might have been three, but I think it was two. He's been an observer, a very entertaining observer, but an observer. And and a great character that has been woefully put on the shelf. I just don't understand right. how that decision got made at all. Yeah. But, you know, here we are, and at least he's gonna he's clearly gonna have some maybe you know, maybe that'll mean that I I also think he's safe, but maybe they'll just kill him. Because what more are they gonna do with him? Maybe. And it'll probably be an amazing sacrifice. I think really the end of the, the story is gonna be so we're gonna thwart Thrawn and maybe that's our win in spite of our heavy losses, or we're gonna make sure they can't manufacture any more TIE defenders, and that's gonna be our win. But either way, they're not going to liberate Lothal because that's too big a victory. Like they managed to do something right and most of them escape, but the losses are severe. I like it. It'll be emotional. It'll make sense. It'll fit. Yeah, I like it. But I think Thrawn might have to survive this though because he's kind of a cash cow character. Yeah, and the, the new Thrawn book looks like it brings him to the Death Star time. I think uh, he may make it out of A New Hope. Well, that's interesting. And also, I mean, we have here at the very end of Rebels also is the Thrawn novel comic book adaptation. Right. So not a great time to kill him if they were going to do that. But he might be thwarted <laughs> for the time being. He'll get demoted to just regular Admiral. Anyway, that's what we got. You'll be along for the ride with us. No doubt some things will happen that'll be so crazy we won't be able to not talk about them on State of the Empire. And certainly we will be chatting about them on the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group. If you want to get in on that action, now is the time. Because <laughs> I'm guessing we're going to need an episode-to-episode decompression when the things that we think are going to happen are happening. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you there. If not, we'll see you in two weeks with another all-new episode of State of the Empire. May the Force be with you. State of the Empire is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television podcast programming at consequenceofsound.net. This show is recorded and produced in Orlando, Florida at Nerdy Show Studios, home of the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. Discover more at nerdyshow.com. Special thanks to our Bothan pals in the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group, the Nerdy Show Network Patreon backers, and Cicatro Visago, everyone's favorite Devaronian, a totally legitimate businessman who would be happy to negotiate a fair price for a puffer pig, or perhaps some gently used Imperial Blaster rifles? Yeah, maybe he would sell his mother to Jawas for a couple credits, but that's how he's able to pass the savings on to you. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna thwart we're going to thwart thought. Fuck me. Okay. <laughs> Consequence Podcast Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.